Well, good morning. Welcome. We're glad to be here this morning at Grace Life Church in the metropolis city of Jemison, Alabama, between two traffic lights. But it's great. Uh, it's a good day. This is the day the Bible said that the Lord hath made. He said we should rejoice and be what? Glad. And some people didn't read that. They thought he meant sad. But no, I'm telling you, it's a good day. And we got so many reasons to be thankful. And we're glad for those of you who are uh, watching and uh, on the broadcast right now or, or maybe at another time. We want you to know that God's got good things in store for your life. Very popular verse is found in the book of Jeremiah 29, where it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, a plan to give you hope and to give you a future, to give you an expected end. So God has good things for you. You say, well, it just seems like God's been on me. No, it's not. You, you, you got him confused with somebody else. Because John 10, 10, I call it the dividing line of the whole Bible. It's real simple. Now, a theologian wouldn't say this, and I'm not a theologian. You'll figure that out in a few minutes if you, if you didn't already know it. But uh, some people read the, Greek, uh, the Bible in the Greek, and some people read it in Hebrew. And, uh, and I've got some study guides. I can do both that, but I, I find it better to read it in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Read it in the Holy Ghost, and you'll get a whole lot more than a Greek or Hebrew. Amen. And uh, so that I'll give you a few things the Bible says, and then we'll get to our lesson. We're preaching on don't take the bait. And uh, last week, and this is a continuation of that, I mean, just, you know, don't take offense. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But this might help you before we get there. This might be the antidote. You, you, you might need a little anesthesia before we get to the lesson. And uh, the Bible says in Hebrew 1 that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. Not sadness, but of joy. But how many know Jesus endured a few things? I mean, the cross would be pretty major, wouldn't it? But he was anointed with all of joy. And uh, one day, we're going to all go be with him. And we're looking forward to that day. Amen. Well, heaven is a place of ecstasy. It's an overwhelming experience. God won't take this body because this body can't handle that much joy. Have you ever, ever thought about this? You know, like I'm going to a party or I'm going to, on vacation to a, somewhere that we really enjoy. How many of you got a place that you really enjoy? How many of you got a favorite restaurant? That you've been there more than once. Was it so? Was it so great that you had to have a different? You you couldn't take your body in with it. No, but you're going to go to a place one day. This body can't stand it, so you you'll leave this body here. You know, if if you don't leave in the rapture, then then we have the death process. We'll go to be with the Lord, and the Lord will leave your body here because that's not the real you anyway, right? right? And you'll go as to be a spirit being which will look just like a body. And that's pretty cool. A spirit body would be just like when Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, and they were, uh, the disciples had already been told uh, by, by Mary and Martha that Jesus had appeared to them. And, and of course, <laughs> they didn't really believe him. So Jesus walked through the wall because he had a spirit body. I'm just throwing this in for free. There's no charge for this. <clears throat> How many think it'd be pretty cool to walk through a wall? Amen. So you might walk in on someone and say, wow, you don't, I mean, what time of the day do you brush your hair? No, I was kidding. I tell you, but anyway, uh, so yeah, you'll have that kind of body. And then, and then during the marriage supper of the Lamb, when, when, when uh, the church is raptured, 
That's going to be the coolest event that's ever taken place. Hollywood has never come close to depicting what will happen during the rapture. Untold millions and hundreds of millions and hopefully billions of people will leave this planet. And the Bible says those who already pre has already died, he said, then their body's in the grave and they're already with him. He said, they're going to come back first. And he says, the graves will burst open and the spirit will come down and he, he will take that body in the grave and he's going to make it a spirit body in the twinkling of an eye. Do you know how many billions of people I don't know has ever been on the planet who are Christians? Maybe they died in a fire. Maybe they were a fireman. Maybe they, maybe they were in the military. They died. You know, maybe they're in the ocean. And God knows where every molecule is. And he's going to pull all that together from billions of people in, in a twinkling of an eye. So I'm pretty sure if you're capable that God could help you with your light bill. <laughs> he, he might have the means to do that. And so we have all this to look forward to. And heaven's a wonderful place. It's a place of reward. It's a place of, uh, we call it an ecstasy, but you, you'll have to have a new body to get there. So he's going to give you a spirit body. And right behind them, after he raises the dead in Christ, we're just right behind them. And then we go to ever be with the Lord. And there, there, we're there for seven years. And so we're having the marriage supper of the Lamb as Christians. How many of y'all looking forward to eating in heaven? How many, how many glad that you eat in heaven? Some of y'all still thinking about it. Now, oh, I'm sorry. You, you don't do the cooking and cleaning up. There you go. And uh, carbs will mean nothing. Nothing will affect your blood sugar. And you can be the donut queen. It won't make a bit of difference. And donuts are okay for you because they're holy food. I got a hole in them. And cake and pizza are a well-rounded meal. But you can have all this in heaven. Someone up there is rolling their eyes. Who's kidding to me? But anyway, we have a lot to look forward to. So, so we ought to live in a place of, of, of joy. And when you have problems, just do what Jesus said. He, said. he said, let the spirit of laughter come upon you. Did you know that God laughs all the time? Oh, he does. Amen. The Bible says laughter is the same as medicine. So scientists have just found out a number of years ago, a few decades ago, that, and, and they actually have, seriously, they have, uh, I don't know if they call them um, labs or wherever they come to, where people just come and they laugh, or they'll show funny movies, or they'll tell jokes. Most of the jokes aren't good as mine. <laughs> I shared some earlier before we came live. Probably won't next week, but anyway, I shared a few. But people come together with laughing, and, and we medical science has found out that your body will release chemical endorphins in your body when you're laughing that will heal the body. So it's almost like God knew what he was doing. Seems like God actually knows what he's doing when he made your body. And so scientists said that from their study, if you just take time to laugh 10 to 15 minutes a day, it will increase your, your body's potential of health by 30% more if you laugh 10 minutes a day, even if you're just, if you're just putting it on, so to speak. They said because the, 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 the brain can't determine whether it's actually something you think is funny is laughing, but laughing does the same thing, <laughs> even if you don't have any reason to laugh. Amen. And we all walk into days in our life that we don't have a reason to laugh that day. Can I get an amen? amen. 
we get a, we, we have reasons to be sad or disappointed or discouraged or frustrated or you know some people deal with depression but laughter is one of the keys to overcoming yeah and, and, and uh, so you may have to put it on but that's okay Ephesians 4 said put on the new man so it's okay to put to be a put on the Bible tells you to be a put on this is put off the old man and put on the new man Amen. So sometimes I just have to put on a laugh when I don't want to laugh. And everybody has a different way of doing it. You know, I just go, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> he, he. It can start off dry. He, he, he. Ho, ho, ho. But when you get to the ha, ha, ha's, it'll really pick up. <clears throat> I'm trying to help you now just a little bit. And I gave you some medical science to do it. I could give you the name of the reports and who done them. But chemically, your body doesn't know why you're laughing. It just says something, something good is going on here. So it just releases the chemicals and they know where to go in your body to begin to help you and to make your body amend. Did you know that? They also know, neuro, neuro, neurologists and neuroscientists know because the brain is the, the place. So if you have pain anywhere in your body, you may feel it down here or your foot or your neck or your back or whatever, wherever you feel pain, but really it's coming from the brain because this is the, this is the computer, right? And so all the transmitters go to the brain and says there's pain there. And so they have found out, <clears throat> they have found out, I remember a man uh, in South Korea, you know, y'all ever heard of Dr. Cho? He doesn't pastor anymore, but Dr. Cho built the largest church in the world. And he started off, he said, with five people, and he built a church of a million. And then it just got too big, so he just started taking pastors, and he had about, he had about 10,000 pastors in the church to help him with, the, with a million people because there's, they didn't have a facility that they all could meet at one time. But anyway, so he, when he, he, he said he split a church off himself, and he said, I'll just go send you off you know, with um, get you a building and I'll start you off, you know, with a, little, a few folks. I'll start you off with 25000 like, oh, gosh, really? And uh, a, few, a few million dollars. Well, he had, he had a neuroscientist in his, in his um, church that came to Dr. Cho one time. True story. And he says, he says Dr. Cho, I have got some, some information I think you're going to be so excited about because I know you believe in faith and I know you believe in healing. He says, but he says, but science has just now we got physical proof that the uh, right here on the front part of your cranial or the brain, true story, and you and you may know a lot more about this than I do. Um, I've got studies, but I didn't know I was going to say nothing about this today. I could have brought the information, but uh, it says the the nerves in, in the front part of the brain that, that controls so many things in your body is developed by your speech. So if you choose correct words to speak, the, the speech center part of the brain will send those messages to the nerves and throughout the body. He said, isn't that, he says, isn't that a great discovery, Dr. Cho? And he says, Dr. Cho, he just laughed. He said, that's old news. He said, it is. He says, no, this is cutting edge. He says, no. He said, this uh he said, Dr. James taught that over 2,000 years ago. He said, who's Dr. James? He said, you ever heard of the book of Hebrews and the Bible? Yeah, he said, the next, next book is called James. And James said, he said, if you would, he likened it with, you know, taking a horse. He said, if you put a bit in a horse's mouth, the horse may weigh 1,000 pounds or 2,000 pounds. But if you put enough pressure 
on that tongue, that horse will get to thinking like you will. Now, I know very little about horses, but I don't know this. If you have a, I don't care how big the horse is, if the horse is on the ground and you put his foot on, the ne- on his neck, he can't get up. Now, you may be 100 pounds and he may be 2,000, but if he's on the ground and your foot is on, because if he can't rise his neck, he can't get up. Huh? So you may have a 2,000 pound problem, you feel like. Hmm? And the Bible says the anointing will destroy the yoke of bondage around your neck. But if you put a bit in a horse's mouth and he, and, and he wants to get into a full run, if you know how to control him, you can bring him to a, a stop. You, you say, well, the horse tries to go right. Well, you've you got to lead him to the left. And, and you put enough pressure with those bits on that tongue, he'll get to thinking just like you do. And Paul said, he said, the tongue is the smallest member in your body, but it's the most deadly member in your body. Why? Because out of your mouth you speak life or death. Blessing or cursing. Jesus said one day, every uh, Matthew 12, I think verse 34, he said, every idle word, idle means every inoperative, non-producing word that you speak, he said, you will give account to me when you and I meet. And I, I learned this almost 30 years ago, and I thought, wow, I have spoken some words that are not productive according to this word. To where my words agree with his words. Because a lot of times we speak according to how we think and then we speak according to how we feel. And we think we're just jesting, but the Bible talked about, uh, talked about jesting and how it's wrong to jest. See, everything God says happens, right? So one of God just starts jesting because everything he says comes to pass. So we say things like, man, this, this, uh, this weather's killing me. Well, that just tickles me to death. Well, it's not that, it's not that if you say that, that's what's going to happen. But what, but what you're training your, your, your mind and your spirit is that the words that you speak really doesn't matter. And words are everything. Amen. Now, we're talking about offense, but I'm talking about that's where a lot of offense comes from is words. That's why Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is edifying to the one who hears it. Amen. Years ago, I'd read this somewhere, and I thought, we'll do this. This is many years ago. I said, we're going to do this at the church. And I encouraged everyone to get a, you know, like a, I don't know what size, is it a quart jar? Or what's the, what's the bigger ones about, like, you know, so what's that? Is that a, it's not a gallon, but is it, is it a quart? And I said, um, and every time that you say something negative, if you're married to your spouse or whoever it is that you're associated with all the time, every time you say something negative that's not edifying, you have to feed the jar a dollar. And one lady said to me, I can't say anything to him that's not negative and all the stuff that he's doing. I said, no. She said, I'll be broke in two weeks <laughs> if I got to feed that jar. Other than said, I think we can do it. She said, but we're not going to have anything to talk about. <laughs> well, that's what words do. God created this planet with words. 
I've said this many ways. There's many, many ways to explain this. This building we were in, that we're in today physically here, or the home that you're in, if you build a home. If you ever thought about it, when, when I know when we came into this building, it was kind of just open, so we had to build walls where we needed walls, classrooms where we needed classrooms, bathrooms that we needed, all the things that we need. So there had to be a plan, and that plan was discussed with the people who would be involved in it. But the way that we did that was with words. With words. So I want to say it this way. So this building does not look like it did when we took possession of it. So we're actually sitting in a conversation. Hebrews said that God framed this world with words because words are that powerful. You can build with words and you can destroy with words. You can work wonders and you can work blunders. Has anyone ever told you they hated you? And you thought that they meant it or they disliked you strongly? Those kind of words hurt. Every other marriage in the United States ended divorce used within the first five years. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But do you think there was any harsh words spoken before that divorce took, took place? Absolutely. So we, I just want to interject that into what we're talking about. And we're going to kind of pick up and cover some ground that we covered last week. If you didn't want to be the part of it, you can go back on uh, to Facebook and, uh, and pick up there. We'll recap some of that. But uh, we started off with Luke chapter 17, verse 1. And if you'll go there with me, Luke 17 and verse 1. It said, um, this is the uh, New King James Version, the first verse. Then said he to the disciples, Jesus said, it is impossible. Y'all say that with me, impossible. impossible. Now, who's doing the talking here? Jesus. And Jesus says, it is impossible that no offense should come. In other words, what he's saying, it's impossible for you to live life and you won't have the possibility of, of having an offense come to you. Jesus said, that's impossible. But he says, but woe to him who they do come. Now, I'm, I'm going to read down. He's with his disciples. He says, far better than a, that a millstone were hung around in the neck and cast into the sea then they should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. In other words, he said if someone brought an offense into your life, he says, go to him. Not go to everybody else and tell them. Go to him. He said if he repents, embrace him. Right? Yeah. If he repents, he feels sorry. The Amplified says for having sinned. He says, forgive him. And then verse 4 and 5, that's where we're going to go today and finish here. Says, if you, he said, Jesus said, if you trespass, verse 4, if this brother trespass against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day again to him saying, I repent, then I shall forgive him. And so he taught this in the gospel. So Peter asked the question, in one of the other gospels, he said, how many times a day should we forgive someone who offends us, who hurt, her, her, brings hurt into our life? 
offense into our life. He says, what, maybe knowing you, probably seven. Jesus, how, Jesus said, yeah, how about 70 times seven? I haven't quite arrived there yet where if someone does the same thing to me 490 times a day, I haven't quite got to place. Usually by, if they've done it two or 300 times, I'm looking for a hotel to get away from them for a little while. Then they can start on me again the next day. <laughs> so, so I'm still, I mean, could you imagine forgiving someone 490 times in one day for doing the same thing? No. But that is what the Bible says. And the magic number is not 490. In other words, he says as many times as he's willing to repent, even if he transgresses again, forgive him. You know what the good news about that is? See, we're thinking about the one who offended us, but what I'm talking about is how many times have we missed it? And aren't you glad that God doesn't have a cutoff number on you and I? He says, that's it. That's it. You've done this over and over again. And you asked me to forgive you. You said you'd never do it again. And here we are in the same situation. And the Lord said, that's it. He's never done that to anyone. And some people say, well, I forgive them. You ever, ever heard this? And if you, if you said this, don't raise your hand. Well, I forgave them, but I ain't going to forget it. You ever heard that before? You haven't forgave them. Isaiah said, uh, Isaiah said, he said, I, even I, speaking of God, he said, I, I forgave them of their sins. And he's basically saying, I forgot it. He said, I've, I've taken it into the sea of unforg unforgetfulness. In other words, when you bring something up that the Lord already forgave you for, he has no recollection of it. Isn't that good? Now, your family might. They might still remember it. But the Lord's already forgave you. Isn't that good news? Amen. That is really good news. Especially if you're a repeat offender. <laughs> it's, it's good to know that the Lord is, is not, you know, we, I was always taught growing up, the Lord has this list and every time that you make a mistake, he writes it down. Was anyone taught like that? <clears throat> yeah, that was under the old covenant. You're in the new covenant. In the new covenant, it's not what I'm preaching, but I can prove from the word. Um, I can prove from the word easily that the Lord doesn't even have a book he records in. Jesus finished that in the old covenant and he closed the account out. And if you're and if you and if you if he's in your life and you've asked him into your heart, he doesn't have a book where he records sins against you. And when you go to heaven as a believer, you'll never be judged for sin. Jesus was judged for your sin, past, present, and future. Hmm? Now, according to how you live your life, is going to determine your rewards and what you're going to do when we come back to the earth for a thousand years. So we, I like to say it this way, what you're doing right now in life, when you go to heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's also the place of rewards that's called the Bema Seat. That's where you will be rewarded while you're there for seven years for what you did in this life according to what the plan was for your life and based on the motive of why you've done it. Because you could do the right thing for someone but have the wrong motive and he says that everything that was done, even if it was right with the wrong motive, the Bible said would be called wood, hay, and stubble. It would be like a major fire. So don't, don't stand too close to it. If you've got a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble, you could lose your eyebrows you know, when, it, when it blows up. But, but you'll be rewarded for all these things. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? So the Lord has a book that he's keeping on you, but it's a book of rewards. Amen. 
Because I always just thought, you know, as a kid growing up, the way I was taught that he was marking everything down, and then we went to heaven, he was going to show my whole life on a screen. No one ever, was, ever thought about that? And I knew my mother would be there, and she knew a lot of stuff, but she didn't know all of it. Hmm? And so uh, I thought he was going to show everybody in heaven every mistake I ever did, every sin that I ever, you know, if I ever did one. Amen. Well, so that's just not the way it works. So real quickly, Jesus said, he said, it's impossible. What he's saying, it's impossible that you can live this life and offense not come. Did you hear what I, what I didn't say? He said, it's impossible that offense, you can't, you can't live this life with offense coming to you. That's not the word offended. Offended is, is taking the offense, personal. So he says, you can't live this life without offense come. He says, but be not offended. Be not offended. Did y'all get that? It's going to come. But you don't have to let it turn into offended. It may rain, but that doesn't mean you have to stand in it. You can get an umbrella or go back and go in the house. You don't have to be soaking wet. So you can't live this life. Jesus said, not me, not a denomination. Jesus said, it's impossible for you to live this life and offense not come to you. And you, and, and you won't have to go looking for it sometimes. How many ever found it, you know, going through a drive-thru? Or they didn't put the cheese on your biscuit. Or they did put it and you asked for it to be plain. And now you're 12 miles down the road and you got time to go back. Anyone ever been cut off in tra traffic and someone almost hit you? And uh, you, get, you, you lay down on your horn. Of course, you forgot you've done that three or four times yourself. Someone else, right? So you can, you can have the, the possibility to find offense if you just get out among people. So, um, and then we, we talked about this last week. It says, uh, the offenses that move us the most or have the possibility to move us most is by the people who's closest to us. You know, if, 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 if someone, and I don't mean to put, I don't mean to put anyone in a classification of not having value worth, but if someone is just is out to, to belittle you and to, you know, just destroy you, they're just as, being mean, and you don't even know them. Have you ever had someone just say something to you? You don't even know them. You know, I mean, it just came out of what we call left field. I mean, would you take financial advice from someone who lived under a bridge or in a cardboard box? Now, Jesus loves them, and we're instructed to help them, but would you take financial advice from them? No. I don't think their advice would be worth your time of listening to. So if they started blasting you for how you were living their finances, yet they needed you to feed them, then I don't know how serious we could be about that. So offense, the Bible says, comes from those who's closest to you. Why? Because these are people that you care about and have cared about, that you love, that you, that you, they're, they're very close to you. And when something happens in that relationship, it affects you a lot different than someone that you don't even know. Would you all agree with that? I told you to be quiet in here. And so, <laughs> but you, this, can you see how this affects everyone? But there's, uh, I read this verse last week. I'm going to read it from a different translation this time. This is Psalms 55. And I'm going to read it from the NIV. If you're making notes, it's 12 through 15. But it says, if an enemy were insulting me, he said, I could endure it. And if a foe were against me, 
I could hide. He said, but it's you. A man just, just like myself. He said, my companion, my closest friend, with whom I have enjoyed sweet fellowship, even at the house of God. And we walked together, even among the worshipers. So if he, if he said, if it had been from someone on the outside who had said these things, done these things, it wouldn't affect me. He said, but we're the closest of friends. He said, we're at church together. We spend time together. We maybe husband and wife, maybe just close friends. And then something happens one day. Well, uh, I, I won't go into any particulars, but there's, there's, it's impossible to pastor a church and that not happen to you as a pastor. Impossible. I've had at least 14 congregations, at least. If any pastor thinks he's going to pastor and for 20 years they're all going to stay there, he just, he's, he, he's got a rude awakening. People come and people go. Hmm? And, you know, and because, you know, it's just like you own a business. You may not have done what was wrong, but because you're, someone worked for you did it, the blame comes to you, right? If you, if you went to a restaurant or if you went to a drive-thru and may not be the, the man or woman who owns that franchise, but if one of their employees did something, you just named the company. I'll never go again to blah, 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 corporation. I'll never go there. They don't say because John owns you know, that franchise, it's because maybe the person at the drive-thru said something or didn't say something or they were rude to them. People who have employees know exactly what I'm talking about. I know one of my last occurrences was someone who was offended uh, with me and, uh, and there was a lot of accusations and they, they took it live to Facebook. And I just thought maybe they were just talking. I didn't, I didn't know at the time. I was like, well, that's kind of strange. You know, who, who would, why, why would they post that? And uh, there was no discussion between those people and me. There was nothing that happened. There was no event that had brought anything to, I mean, there, there was nothing leading up to us. That's why I thought, well, that's kind of strange for a post like that. Then it came two or three times. So I messaged the person and I says, I, 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 I was told by someone, you ought to go look at this post. So I did. So I, I messaged the person and I says, I don't understand the reason for that particular post. I said, are you talking to me? And they said, I sure am. Because this is who you are and this is all you are and this is what you're all about. And you're just out to, you're, you're out to get me. And they used other words. Well, they didn't have the... Um, the ability to do it, so they found an article about pastors who do this. And then they posted the article in their words. And uh, I didn't do this in my early years of pastoring because I, I really needed to mature. You know, it's like, you know, if you're, whether you're shooting targets or whether you're, uh, I remember growing up, you know, when we went quail hunting. Everyone ever went quail or dove hunting? Um, that's not a sitting target. And uh, so you have to learn how to, you know, if you're shooting with a shotgun or whatever. I had a 12-gauge Ithaca pump, and I had to learn how to, you know, lead that bird so far and shoot in front of it. And it, it was something to do it. But sometimes when you don't have any expertise or knowledge in that, some people just treat life like ready, shoot, aim. <laughs> 
in my first years of, of pastoring, I met some uh, different kind of people. And I dealt with it differently. And like ready, shoot, aim. But thank God I grew, out, grew up out of some of that kind of stuff. And so I said, well, um, would you do this for me? I said, would you come to the church? And I said, well, we'll meet. And I said, uh, and I won't, I won't say anything to you. I'll let you do the speaking. I'm not going to berate you in any way. I'm not going to chastise you in any way. I'm not going to use the word to beat you up. I, I don't agree with your assessment of what you think I'm doing to you. And, uh, and he said, well, it's not you. It's the, it's the whole church is against me. The whole church. And I says, well, I don't agree with your assessment. And I don't know why you feel the need to go public with it. And I said, but I, apparently your feelings are real. And I promise you I will not take this Bible and turn it into a, you know, a, a board to beat you with, a hammer to put over your head. Let's just talk because your feelings are real. Because apparently their feelings are real, you know, whether it was right or wrong, right? And, uh, and he said, no. And um, I'd had about a 20-year relationship with him. And I said, uh, well, I really wish you'd consider it. He says, no, I want you to have a good life. He said, but don't ever contact me. Don't ever contact my wife. And he says, uh, we want nothing to do with you. God bless. So I was like, wow. So, we, you know, we love you for what you did, but don't ever contact us in any shape, form, or manner. God bless. Well, I, if you put me in front of a firing squad and you try, and I had three chances to know what, what I supposedly said to this person that caused this, then I couldn't guess. I guess I'd just be shot. But I'm not even given the opportunity to say, well, I'm sorry if that's how you saw it, and would you forgive me for doing that? I wasn't given that opportunity. But see, that's what we're supposed to do if your brother trespasses against you, and if it's a sin you're hurt, Go to them. Don't go to Facebook. Go to them. And if you want to call them a, a bully or whatever you want to call them, whatever, you know, whatever I was called, then, uh, then, then tell them that. If it's, and if there's truth in it, just because someone's a minister don't mean they're always right. They're people. Pastors are just people. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I took my one-week shower just like you did this week. <laughs> <laughs> it takes some scraping if you wait for a week, but I mean, it just, but we all need to, we all need to be able to give people room for mistakes. And I'll read you a verse about, about that in just a minute. So I'm just want to encourage you with that. So he said, you know, if it was someone I didn't know, he says, but you and I are best of friends. We even worship together. So that's where offense comes from. Now we won't stay much time on this, but because this is a, um, it's in the book of Matthew, and I'll just, I'm going to read it real quickly. don't need to turn there. Uh, Matthew is what Jesus is talking. He's talking about end times. A lot of times when people read the whole book of Matthew, they don't understand that part of the verses is why we're here. Part of them is right before the rapture, and some of them is after the rapture. And this is something that actually, the, these scriptures are actually after we've been raptured, but you'll see the setup for this in the rapture. I know one of the verses that, you know, is used a lot of times, especially in missions, and there's nothing wrong with using it. This says, you know, the, the kingdom of God shall be preached, and then the end shall come. And we're saying we have to, we have to preach, you know, to everyone 
before Jesus comes. And that is absolutely not true. That is a, that is a scripture during the seven years that we're gone and they're here, the seven year tribulation. So one of the, it'd be a sad, but one of the greatest, one of the greatest revivals that ever take place will be after we're gone. Revelation will tell you that. That half the population left here will accept Jesus Christ under the most adverse situations that you don't want to be in. So, but it'll be a major revival. And so even angels will be involved in preaching the gospel to some people. But you, but you, see, the, you see the setup for it. And so uh, I'll quickly see this is Matthew 24 and verse 6. It says, and you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. Do we have that now? Has there been wars? And rumors of wars? Okay. He says, see that you be not troubled. I like those words. He said, uh, uh, is there a war or are there rumor of wars? He tells you as a believer, don't be troubled. Isn't that, isn't that something? He said, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7 says, for nations shall rise against nation. Anyone ever saw that? Kingdom against kingdom. You see that? There shall be famine. COVID-19, pestilences, that's what it is. Earthquakes, there's more earthquakes taking place every day, whether you realize now there's thousands of earthquakes that are taking place every day across the planet now. So you're in the end times. He said, in diverse places, and then verse eight says, and all, all these things, now listen, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning. So, he says, and many people shall, Jesus said in verse 10, many people will be offended. And they will betray one another because iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. So he says, the setup to see the end times is he said, you'll see people that, are, that are, are offended all the time because the love of the body has waxed cold. Well, if you can be cold, you can be hot. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciple. He says, here's how they'll know. And it wasn't because you're a prophet or a pastor, or an evangelist, a teacher, or what, you know, any of that fivefold. It wasn't because you have miracles, signs and wonders. It wasn't because you could prophesy or give tongues interpretations or you're a worker of miracles. Jesus said, the world will know that you're my disciple if they see you loving one another. That's the mark sign. That's the one thing that distinguishes most as Christians is do we love one another? That's, that's pretty strong if you think about it. It's very strong. So when they see us as the family or they see you as a Christian loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, he said that will be the evidence to the world that they must be a follower of Christ. I know that sounds simple, but if, if you think of the weight of what he's saying, because everyone, remember, has the opportunity in life to take an offense, but turn it in to be offended. Okay? Let me move on a bit faster. So offense is always the tool against you. It will rob you of your peace. It'll rob you of your blessing. It'll rob you of your destiny if you let it become, this offense become, cause you to be offended. And you'll, ne you'll never be effective in the kingdom. You'll, you'll never, ever walk out the plan for your life if you're a person who lives offended. Proverbs 18, 19 in the New King James Version says, a brother, offended, a brother who's offended is harder to win than a strong city. 
And I'm going to finish this uh, 19 with the uh, Passion Translation. It says, because their walls go up, making it nearly impossible to win them back. A brother that's offended is harder to win than a strong city because their walls go up, make it nearly impossible to win them back. Sometimes it's happened to me that you, that I, you, you could be hurt and you may still have a relationship with these people. I, I, I hate to say this, but I mean, this has happened to me in my early years of pastoring where I, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I was so naive about it. I mean, I didn't know anything. I mean, you, you just leave Bible school and you come back, you got all this word in you and you want to help people, but you've never pastored. You have no idea. You're just as green as behind the ears as whatever. And what happened to me was I put my heart out there to help people. And there was people that was already hurt before I met them. And how many know the saying is that hurting people will always hurt people? You ever seen a dog or a cat that's been hit on the road, but it's not, it hasn't died yet? And if you go out to pick that dog up in that kind of pain and you scoop down to get that dog in that kind of pain, you're likely going to get bit because it's, it's in pain. And hurting people generally always hurt people. And they were doing this before they ever met you. But if you internalize that like I did in my, my early years, because I'd, I'd done so much to help I mean, I, I mean, I'll never give names, but some of you wouldn't even know them anyway. But I went so far to do so many things and sit in hospital rooms and drug rehab places and lay hands on their family and believe they won't die from this situation. Then within two months, you know, I'm getting letters that I'm just sorry. I mean, I couldn't even tell you what, what it said. It was so profane. And being so young in the ministry, I really, I really got hurt. And uh, I had about three people that this was going through in my first year. And so I knew I couldn't quit the ministry, but I didn't want to sign up to spend a lot of time with them. How many of we're supposed to love everybody, but not everybody you want to go on vacation with? Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, y'all can hear it that way. And so I came up with this solution, which is terrible, that my job was to give at that time three, come to church three times a week, and, I, and I'm going to minister and teach three times a week. But I built me a wall in my first year, so I would never let anyone get that close to me again because I never wanted to be hurt that again, hurt the way and feel the way that I felt because I was wounded, I was hurt. And, uh, and what they did is wrong. And even after 25 years later, I'm not taking that for myself, they were wrong because they're still in that same place. This particular people is. And I want the best for them, I really do. But I, but I let myself, you know, just in my, in my youth and my immaturity, I, I got hurt, but what? By the words that they put on paper that, and um, it was off a computer and it, it was like five foot tall. They took time to, to type it out on a computer and send it to me on a scroll and I read it. And the problem is I read it about twice a week for about two or three months, wondering if that's who I was and that's what I was doing. And am I, am, am I really not, you know, called? Am I really, uh, I mean, all the things I'm accused of, and I read it to myself, which is poison. Don't ever do that. Don't, don't believe all the things bad they say about you, and don't read all the accolades that you get. Because if you read all the accolades you get, you could, that'll turn into pride, and that's the very downfall of anyone. So don't believe all the bad press, and don't believe all the good press. We doing okay? Is this all right? And so I built this wall 
And then what happened to me was, and I didn't know it because I want to tell you this, that there's probably over 60 to 80% of people in, in pews in a church and they're offended and they don't even know they're offended. I didn't know I was offended. I was just hurt. I reached out to help that wounded person and I got bit so bad. And I had kids under the age of from eight to a baby and, I, and, my, and the letter told me how sorry they are and how sorry they were going to turn out because, you know, I was... Um, Satanic. Uh, I was uh, God was or the devil was using my church. Uh, I was uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, and I was raising up hellions, and all my children were turned into demons. <laughs> and I'm reading this thing like twice a week, you know, and just like well, where did I go wrong? So I, I, that's why I built the wall. So I built this fortified wall. And my thing was, if, if you don't get close to me, I can never be hurt this way again. And everything in the ministry started to fall to pieces. Everything. Because I had taken offense and had become offended. Because I was hurt. Well, who wants to be hurt like that all the time? Nobody does, do they? So <clears throat> they were there, but um, I, I just did not let these people get close. But then I kept everybody out. And the wall was to keep out the transgressors. But what I did was I imprisoned myself. And everything fell to pieces. And it took me having to get help for some, from senior ministers and go through this whole thing. And after several hours of saying this is what's been going on, and, he, and, and then I could see what had happened, you know, looking through their experience, I said, well, this is what happened, and, and this is what you did. I said, yeah. And this is, he said, this is why all this is where it is today. So he gave me some really, really good advice, and I took the advice and I implemented it. And when I did, everything turned around in one week. In one week. And I was no longer mad. I felt genuine pity for that person, and I could pray for them. And then I, Jesus led me, or the Holy Spirit led me to the verse where Jesus was on the cross, and he said, Father, Please forgive them. Don't hold this against their charge, for they do not know what they're doing to me. And I, what I was suffering was far less than what Jesus suffered. So I, feel, I felt a genuine pity for them, and I was no longer offended. I actually could pray and say, if they could just see what he was doing to himself and why he's hurt, and who's hurt, who has brought this hurt from a childhood all at this place, and nothing in their life ever worked. And so that turned everything around into a lesson that I'll never forget. So we know that the Greek word for offended is the word scandalon. We talked about this last week, scandalon. It's the Greek word. And the scandalon refers to the part of a, uh, like a trap, like, like if you're going to trap an animal or whether it's a mouse or you get a mouse trap, you know, that you, you bait it, right? Because you're trying to draw them in. You don't care if it's a rabbit or a squirrel or a possum, a raccoon, or just a rat, you try, but, I mean, a, a fish. I mean, you can't just have a boat and put a message down there and have it laminated that says, uh, I want you. <laughs> no, you have to have bait and you have to lure them in, right? It's not that you're asking them to be your best friend, you know, they're just, you, you, they think you're feeding them. And you're not feeding them, you're, you're luring them in. And they take the, when they take the bait, you got them and you reel them in. 
Hmm? If you love to fish, you love to do that. You love to reel them in, but you know you've got to bait them. You know you've got to lure them. But in the negative sense, when, when you take an offense and then you become offended, then you're the person that gets on top, you get on the top of the plate. You get on the base, and Satan has placed bait there for you. And when you take the bait, he's got you. He's got you. And so we all have that place of coming from being, you know, have the offense come. And that's, that is the, the, that's the act. Offense is the act. Offended is, is the choice. So we don't have to choose, do we, to be offended. But you can't keep offenses from coming. But when you stand on top of the platform, and when the rat goes for the cheese, he's going for the cheese, but he doesn't see the danger. He doesn't see the snare. He doesn't know the little spring is going to go off as soon as he grabs the cheese. It's going to come. It's going to catch him and take his life. Satan hates you. You are his adversary. And he's looking every way he can to stop you, to stop your life, to stop the plan of God for your life, to sideline you, to disable you any way he can. So he'll do it through deception and he'll do it through offense. Remember, I've said it many times today. Jesus says it is impossible for you to live this life and offense not come to you. But woe to you, in other words, who takes the bait. So if your brother offended you 490 times a day, forgive him again. You can get away from him for a few hours, but, but just <laughs> to where they can't find you. And, and, and how many, so we, we know that's the part of the trap. Uh, we know when, don't turn there, but 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, we are, we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And this is his device. Now here's just some of them. This is not an exhaustive list, but here's, here's some of the fruit, some of the fruit of offended people. They're hurt. They're angry. Maybe, maybe it's outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, hatred, envy, insults, attacks. Huh? Broken relationship, betrayal, divorce, spousal abuse. How about road rage? You ever seen road rage? Or maybe even murder. This is just some of the fruit of offended people. But you don't have to take the bait, do you? You know why? Because you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit. You have Holy Spirit residing in you. And in Galatians 5, says, here's the fruit that he's gave you. See, that, I gave you some of the fruit of offended people. But let me tell you what kind of fruit you have. Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is the Amplified, which is the result. Now, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, listen, parentheses, this is the result of his presence in us is love. Actually, all the fruit of the Spirit, there are several things here. But all of them are come out of love. So the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the result of His presence in you, is love, which is unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience. And patience, parentheses, is not the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. How we act while we're waiting. So we have patience, which, which undergirds our faith. Patients are like these beams in this metal building right there. They're holding up the weight of, of the structure of this building. That's what your patience will do for you when you put patience and faith together. The Bible tells you with faith, it takes faith and patience, Hebrews said, to inherit the promises. Not just patience. 
because patience can't receive. But faith is a receiver. But before you receive, in that process of time, you're going to need to, you're going to, need to enforce the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you, which is patience, which will undergird your faith. How many times have you had to be patient with people? How many times have you ever had someone you're almost tired of being patient with them? Uh, everyone can name names right now. But let me tell you something. God's done the same thing with you and I. How many times has God been patient with us throughout our lifetime? Amen. We said we wouldn't and we did. We said we won't and we do. We said we'd be faithful and we, we made a mistake. Well, God took all that into effect and thank God for Jesus. Amen. But we have the fruit of patience. Let's go on. He says, and so the fruit of the Spirit also is kindness. He's talking about being kind to these people who have the different kind of fruit. The Bible says that, that the Lord loves people. He, he, lets, he, said he, he said he lets the rain and the sun fall on the just and the unjust. So, you know, uh, I think it's in one of the, one of the Gospels, he, Jesus says, what reward is it to you that, that you're good to people who's good to you? He said, he, you know, he, even sinners do that. Even sinners have friends. You know, you do me a good deed, they'll do you a good deed. But will you do a good deed for someone who has hurt you, offended you, spoken evil of you? Well, we don't want to do that in our flesh. Of how it makes us feel. But that's not who you are. So you're not who... The person that you really are in the Spirit is not the person of how you feel today. Because how you feel could, could, could make an entire mess in your life. But you need, to, you need to live in the knowing and the understanding of who you really are, regardless of what people do or don't do. Is this helping anybody? It happens to everyone. It happens to children. It happens when kids go to school. You know, kids can be cruel. It's like very unkind things. You ever heard of school bullies? Sometimes they grow up to be adult bullies. Yeah. So there's kids in the last several years. I mean, it wasn't like this when I grew up. I hate to say it this way, but generally that we had a school bully, there was just some of us took him in the back of school and we explained it to him. It wasn't the right thing. It's just how it was handled about, you know, so many years ago. And, uh, but nowadays you, you got kids that have been so isolated and bullied by so many people that these kids don't know how to deal with it. And some have taken it to the place of suicide and taken their life because of bullies. Huh? Kids can be cruel to one another. Hmm? Well, that's because everyone is born in this life because of Adam and Eve's, all, you know, their sin. We, we were born with a sin nature. That's why we've got to be born again. You don't have to teach anyone to sin when they grow up. Every sin comes out of one thing. Think about it. Every sin that you could ever name, the root of it is selfishness. Why did you rob somebody? Why, why was someone, why did, why did someone shoot someone? Why did someone do anything? Why are many people in jail and prison? Because they were hurt, they were mad, or they were selfish, they wanted their way. Well, when you're born again, you get, the, you get God's nature, the love of God in you and, you, and you have to let go of selfishness because it's not about you because you died. If you don't think the sin nature exists in small children, go to a nursery with three or four kids and they all want the same toy and see what happens. Hmm? 
We've had kids through the years, you know, trying to monitor them, and they'll take a toy and, and beat the other one over the head to get them turned because they want to play with so-and-so. Now, who taught them that? Nothing. It's, it's in their nature. It's in their nature. I want that. I want it now. You give it to me or I'll bonk you in the head. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but years ago, we were, they were teaching kids, you know, they were three, four years old, and they were in the nursery or, the, or children's church, and they were teaching, you know, to give them. We've always ta taught kids, we don't want to take kids into the nursery and just babysit them. We want to teach them to the Word of God on their level. So one thing we've always done is to take a Bible and they'll, and they'll hold it to their cheek and they'll say, we love, we love the Bible. And we've had so many pictures through the years where you get little kids and they're, they're hugging the Bible. We, we love the Bible. We love the Bible. We love the Bible. But if you take your toy, if you miss, they might, like I say, bonk you over the head. So we were teaching, you know, they were teaching kids how to give. So one of the kids gave the kid something, you know, gave them a 50 cents or a dollar, whatever they, the parents gave them. And uh, that was kind, wasn't it? But then that kid was waiting for that, the one they gave it to to give them something. They said, Where, well, where's my gift? And they said, I, I ain't got nothing for you. And they started, got, they got mad and they started crying and, and, and they uh, bit the other child. I hate to say it, one of them bears my last name. <laughs> I just won't tell you which one it was. <laughs> Well, see, I, I never tell my children to go bite children. But I think I did that a few times. <laughs> I mean, when you smile. Haven't did it lately. That's, that's good. Yeah, that is good. So we got the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Now listen to this one. Self-control. This is your born-again spirit. So if you have, you have the power of the Holy Spirit for self-control, you, you cannot... You can bring yourself into a place that you don't take the offense and become offended because you have self-control. Hmm? One thing I've heard over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, uh, just in life but in pastoring, people say this all the time, I'm just not the Lord, I need patience. I just don't have no patience. Now, don't raise your hand if you ever said that, but how many of you ever heard someone say, Lord knows I don't have no patience. And I, and I say, I thought you saved I so, said, I'm saved. What? Now I'm talking about I don't have no patience. I said, well, again, I thought you got saved. Well, Pastor, where's the hammer? I've been born again for 15 years. I said, you got your Bible there? Yeah, go to Galatians chapter 5. And I, read, I, and I read it and I said, and you got patience. I said, look at that. Well, look at there. You got patience. It's in your spirit. We need to bring it out now. <laughs> we, we need to bring it out. A lot of times we have things. How many of you ladies in your kitchen ever hid something from yourself and you can't find it you need to cook with? And you can't find it. And then a week later, a month later, you're looking for something else. And then you find the very thing that you was looking to cook with two weeks before that. You guys do it. And we, we do it with tools. You go in to try to find the tool. You can't find it. And just forget it. And then a week or two, a month later, you look for something else. And there's the very tool that you was trying to find two weeks ago. You owned it. It was in your possession. But you couldn't access it because it wasn't in your hand. The patience of God, the self-control of God is in you. It's in you. But we have to employ it. We have to bring it out to where it can be seen. We doing all right? I don't have much time left, so let's go really fast. Colossians 3.13, I, I think this is the New Living Translation. Now listen to this one, very good verse. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. Now I'm, re I'm reading the Bible, so y'all okay with this? Make allowance, y'all say it with me. Make allowance, Make allowance for each other's faults. 
and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, this is not my translation. This is not a denomination. This is the Bible. This is, this is in the epistle by St. Paul. So he said, make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Now, why, why would we be instructed to do something if we can't do it? God would be unjust to tell us something that we can't do, right? So he says, hey, remember, hey, hey, remember, hey, hey, you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for everyone that was wrong, which was all of us. He was right and we were wrong and he gave his life for everyone who was wrong. And one of the very, again, one of the very last things he said before he died and gave up the ghost, one of the last things he said, he says, Lord, after a crucifixion, after the beating of the cat of nine tails, without, after they pulled his beard out, after he, his body, Isaiah said, didn't even recognize. Isaiah, I think it's chapter 52 or 53 says, Isaiah says, when you look at his body through the crucifixion, you can't even detect if that's really a human there. In this form of a blob of flesh before he dies, says, please, Lord, don't hold this to their charge. Has anyone ever nailed you to anything? Was your first thought like, Lord, don't, 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 don't hurt them. Don't hold this to their charge. Hurting people hurt people. Lost people might be good and moral people, but they don't have the love of God. So if they like you, they're trying to like you and love you with a filet of love, which is the human kind of love. And that, only, that has boundaries to it. In other words, as long as you're doing right, I'll do right by you. You bless me, I'll bless you. You say kind word, I'll return it. But if you talk ugly to me, just come back at your wide open. People say, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to give them your heart. Not your mind, because all kinds of stuff goes through your mind. And people say things to you, and you shouldn't put it in your mind, because your mind is not, this is not a, this is not a trash can with a hairy lid on top of it. Hmm? You don't need to eternalize a lot of things that you, hear, that you hear people say to you. And even if you're in a conversation with people who are talking about other people, even though you're there and you don't say nothing, it makes you just as guilty. You're an accessory to it. I heard someone say this about Brother Hagin and you know, those who came behind him said, well, we love him, but we just can't listen to, you know, so-and-so, his family. I just like, I can't listen to him. He, just, he don't do nothing for me. Well, he, he may not. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have to follow behind Brother Hagin, would you? Okay, I'm the next. <laughs> you know, the word Hagin could open doors and close doors. And I remember sitting among senior ministers in a, in a back room and I says, I just can't for the life of me listen to so-and-so, a family member, 10 minutes. And they went on to talk about, yeah, he's this and he's that and he's done this and he's done that. And it probably wasn't right for me to say this, but I, it, I really believe it was the Holy Ghost. And, and I said, gentlemen, I, I don't even have the right. Y'all are senior ministers to me, and I respect each one of you. I says, I don't generally listen a whole lot like I did to Brother Hagin, but I know he has a call on his life, and I know he wants to help people. It may not be our choice 
of who we like to listen to. We might be able to receive from them the same way we received from his father. I said, you know what we could do right now? We could all just take a moment of silence, get down on one knee, let's all just pray for him. And the room's full of ministers. Now you talking about could have heard a pin drop. I mean, a pin, literally, I mean, the, the room was like this and all the stories, and, and it, it got completely silent. And uh, no one got to the knees, so I was the first one. Some others like, uh, I don't know about all that. It took about 10 minutes to get them there, and I started off in prayer. And after it was all over with, they said, we should never say nothing like that. When you talk about another person, the Bible says, when you talk about anyone, even, even if they're guilty, the Bible says, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. When he hears you talk about an, uh, one of God's creation, the Holy Spirit begins to grieve. He, you, you put him to grief. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Is it easy? Not always. But you can grow to this place. You can grow to this place. The more you're going to do in your life for God, the more this is coming at you. You say, well, I'd like to have a big business or a ministry or whatever. Well, get ready for lots of attacks. Satan never bothers anyone who's walking the same direction he is. But if you ever turn around and walk the other way, you're going to meet an adversary. And he's not going to play fair. So he'll find the people closest to you to offend you. Hmm? Brother, sister, a parent, close family member. And, and those things we can easily internalize. Easily. But we can employ the fruit of the Spirit. Let me close with this this morning. I didn't get finished, but that's okay. Um, I do have, after we get through, we're going to close this. I got a, about a two-minute video. Uh, Pastor Matt showed me last week. It's kind of funny. And uh, I'd like to show it to you, but we can't do it on Facebook. It, it'll just be two minutes. And uh, this is just a quote. So offense is, uh, I gave you a while ago, offense is the event, but offended, being offended is your choice. It's your choice. Another quote, no matter how educated, talented, rich, or cool you believe that you are, how you treat people ultimately tells all because integrity is everything. One amen, maybe? One guy started off saying this. He said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm offended that you're offended by me taking offense at your offense offendedness. <laughs> How would you like to start that one out? <laughs> Another quote. A woman said, a woman who was known, I said, hurting people hurt people. And she was good at it. And so she said, well, I'd just like to apologize to anyone I'm not yet offended because be patient. I'll get to you shortly. <laughs> one scripture two different translations I don't, I don't know what the first translation is it says uh, don't hurry yourself and your spirit to become offended for the taking of offense this is Ecclesiastes 7-9 don't hurry yourself and your spirit to become offended for the taking of offense is what rests in the bosom of the stupid ones that's the Bible now listen to it in the message translation it says, don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I said this last week, but I want to say it to you again in case you didn't hear it. When you start, when you start walking with God, finding out who you are, you're going to get hell's attention. When you really start working with God, you, 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 you're going to begin to find all God's friends and all the devil's enemies. Dennis, is that right? That's right. Maybe. And so, uh, but know this, persecution is not the man, persecution that comes into your life. Because, the, you know, we know in 2 Corinthians 10, it says we, we're not resting with flesh and blood, even though it's coming through flesh and blood, right? People can say and do and not do and say things. But the scripture says that really is not, I mean, it's coming through flesh and blood. But we don't, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness, right? So no matter who the enemy's using, he, he's using someone to bring persecution to you. He says, but, but your fight is not with flesh and blood. You're, you're fighting the enemy through them. And he said, and I didn't give you physical weapons to fight them because they're fighting you physically. I give you spiritual weapons. And the greatest way to disarm someone who has hate who's angry with you, who's just mean and persecutes you, love disarms them. First Corinthians says love will never fail. They may not, they may not ever come over, but you're, but you're, uh, I kind of have a habit of aggravating people sometimes. If I don't ever aggravate you, so I don't like you a whole lot. So I gave, I gave a granddaughter up here. I said, I'm going to let you know one of my secrets because I'd just mess with her and mess with her. And she'd, you know, she'd pop up like this and I'm back and forth, back and forth. And I said, I said, here's how you diffuse some of this. I said, whatever someone says, you just, and, and, she, and this is how you do it. And then she turned around and used it on me immediately. So I went at her again, just picking on her like this. And then she just said, sure, Papa. <laughs> whatever I would say, she would say, Sure, Papa. I was like, well, well what, what am I going to do? Because you know, before she was sparring with me, I didn't tell her not to use it on her mother that way. <laughs> so when her mother said something, she said, sure, Mama. And uh, that didn't get her the same result <laughs> with me. I said, you have to use the right body language. You, say, you go, oh, I see. Sure, Mama. Like, you, you can't do it with sarcasm. I didn't explain all that. So here, here's we go. So when you, persecution is not the manifestation of another person's hate for you. Did you hear me? When someone persecutes you, it's not the manifestation of that other person's hate for you. Persecate, persecution is the manifestation of Satan's fear of you. When you begin to find out who you are and you get in this word and you see what God's done for you and you see the plan he has for your life and you see what's available to you and then you pick up the sword of the spirit and you start swinging this thing around and you start cutting left and right and in between, Satan's going to send that one person, place, or thing that he knows that's the closest to you to stop you. But we don't have to be offended, do we? We don't have to take the bait. Say, I'm not taking the bait. And we have to remember 2 Corinthians 10 that we're called to reconcile, right? Not kill people. Reconcile people. Bring them back together. And so if you give the devil an inch, he thinks that you're giving him the license. If you open the door just for a foothold, he'll, he'll take that as an invitation to come and take the whole household over. So the Bible says, Ephesians what, 4, 27 says, give the devil no place. Give him no opportunity. Amen? Give him no opportunity. So that's all that I have. 
And uh, so we're, I hope that helped you. I know it had to help you because you was really quiet like I was doing surgery on you. <laughs> I don't know if I put anybody to sleep, you know, so that you wouldn't feel the pain. But it's something that we all need to hear occasionally, right? And so you say, well, you just don't know the person I'm dealing with. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you, if you, if you want help in that area, read every day 1 Corinthians 13 and, and read it every day. Because remember, you can do this because the love of God, Romans 5 says, the love of God was shed abroad. It's in your heart. But you have to, you can't build a fortress. Because you do, you lock yourself in. You'll imprison yourself. So the love of God will break anything. It's stronger than anything. It never fails. God bless you.